Hello, this is Eric Sinrod from Dwayne Morris, uh, bringing you your weekly Tech Law 10, where the law and information technology intersects. I'm joined, as ever, by my colleague at Quarterly, Jonathan Armstrong. I know we reported on this when it first broke quite a while ago, but I think you have some updates relating to the Equifax matter, so I turn it over to you. I do indeed. Thanks very much, Eric. Jonathan Armstrong here from Cordry in the UK. I think it was episode 206 when we discussed it last time around, but there have been developments in the Equifax case in that the UK data protection regulator, the uh, information commissioner, has issued a monetary penalty, sort of like a posh word for a fine, to uh, Equifax's UK subsidiary this week. Now, it's a little bit of an involved uh, case, but let me walk you through the basic facts. So as a recap, there was a cyber attack on Equifax Inc. in May and July 2017. And to try and simplify things, we're going to talk about two different corporate entities, both called Equifax. There's Equifax Inc., which is the parent company. I'm going to refer to that as Equifax US to make it easier. And Equifax Limited, which is a UK entity, and I'll call that Equifax UK, if that's all right with you, Eric. So (laughs) the fines against Equifax UK, in part because of the breach that Equifax US had in May and July 2017. Now, if you remember, in that breach, around about 146 million people were affected globally, including quite a few in the UK. And there are exact details of the impact on UK individuals in the enforcement uh, notices, if you like, the the monetary penalty notice that the uh, ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, has published. But what basically happened is that Equifax UK were using Equifax US to process some UK data in connection with services that were sold in the UK. And some of that data was exposed into the attack on the US servers. Now, under UK law, and this is a pre-GDPR case, you'll remember that GDPR didn't come in until May 2018, so this particular attack was uh, Equifax were disciplined under the law that applied in July 2017, which was the old Data Protection Act 1998. So this case is the maximum fine possible under the law as it uh, appeared at the time. And what the ICO has effectively said is that uh, Equifax UK failed to take its data protection responsibilities uh, properly into account because it didn't properly supervise Equifax US. And it said that it was Equifax UK that had to do that because it had personal data on UK individuals. And Equifax US had failed to do things like uh, patch its systems properly, and Equifax UK should have known that or should have done an inspection or had proper agreements in place to make sure that things like that were carried out properly. But the UK regulator also had some other concerns about Equifax UK, which I think are particularly 
relevant in a, a UK-US situation. One of them was effectively that they'd moved data to a US server. They'd then moved it to the UK. My guess is that I've no insider knowledge because of the collapse of Safe Harbor. So they'd started processing some of that data in the EEA, but they hadn't removed the, U the copy from the US server. So the ITO also had concerns about international transfers, this whole debate about safe harbor, privacy shield, et cetera, et cetera. It had worries about poor retention practices because the data hadn't been destroyed when it was uh, no longer needed. And it had concerns about transparency as well. How was any of this explained to UK data subjects? Transparency, as we said before, is a common theme with the UK regulator at the moment. And we talked earlier about the, the Emma's diary case and an earlier alert about that. Um, the UK regulator was also concerned about the fact that Equifax US had apparently been warned by the US Department of Homeland Security about a vulnerability in March 2017, but uh, steps hadn't been taken to address that vulnerability. And then finally, in terms of my highlights from the monetary penalty notice, the uh, ICO outlined the fact that security is a board-level responsibility. The commissioner herself said multinational data companies like Equifax must understand what personal data they hold and take robust steps to protect it. Their boards need to ensure that internal controls and systems work effectively to meet legal requirements and customers' expectations. So I've got a few lessons to learn from the case. If I run through them quickly, then I've got a question for you, Eric. First of all, of course, GDPR plans are still important. My suspicion is that a number of organizations had a plan up until May 25th. They missed the deadline, and they thought, mm, this can go back on the to-do list, and I'll come back to it. We've dealt with a number of data breaches post-GDPR, Almost always, they are bits that were on a GDPR plan and have been missed off. So data breach reporting might not be as rigorous as it should be because that was a bit of the plan they intended to return to. And obviously, if you have a breach, that shines a light on all sorts of other issues, such as data retention, not having the right um, measures in place with data processors, et cetera, et cetera, like we saw in this case. So... If you were halfway through your GDPR plan, time to pick it up, dust it off, and get going with it again, I think. Um, secondly, I think you need to rehearse data breaches regularly. Um, we've just been very fortunate to do the ISC squared accredited training for information security professionals in the UK over the last couple of days. So we've trained about 240-ish information security professionals in how to respond to data breaches this week, uh, hence why I'm sounding so tired. But that sort <laughs> of thing is absolutely critical. Uh, mm. Data breaches are a team game, and the team has to train and rehearse. Uh, you know, you don't expect to walk on a um, rounder's pitch or baseball or whatever you call it without, without practicing beforehand. Da data breaches are the same. Uh, thirdly, I think victims have more power. Obviously, there are uh, potential class actions kicking around in the U.S. We're seeing that here uh, uh, as well. 
You need to look at intra-group agreements. It's difficult, I think, for Equifax UK in that they're the subsidiary and they have to say to the parent company, you have to sign our agreements. And I know that's a, that's a difficult discussion in the corporate world, but that's one that executives do have to have, uh, particularly under GDPR, when both the parent company and the subsidiary can have liability. And obviously, this is a sign that the ICO intends to use her fining powers. As I said, this is the maximum fine under the old legislation, as has been well trailed under GDPR. That goes to 4% of annual revenue or 20 million euros. And so the fines almost certainly would have been significantly greater if this was a post-May breach rather than pre. I guess two last very quick things, and the last one is my question for you. Um, first of all, I think, uh, as we've said before, if you're transferring data outside of the EEA, then you have to have a plan. Uh, so privacy shields in stress, we've talked about that before. That might not be the right answer. You'll have to do something. And then my question for you is, I think there's more heat on management as well. And I know that some people have suggested that things like shareholder class actions, possible activity by U.S. financial regulators might make boards take incidents like this uh, more seriously than they may have done, let's say, five years ago. But is that something that you're seeing on your side of the pond, Eric? Do you think boards are stepping up to the plate on security as the U.K. regulator wants them to? Well, thank you. I will get to that question. First of all, I want to commend you for an articulate and substantive presentation, given how tired you are. So good job, Jonathan Armstrong. And your math is correct. It was episode 2006 where you first introduced this. This is episode 233, so I point out that we're going strong. No signs of stopping here. Um, let me respond. So um, first of all, these breaches obviously are, are problematical and you know, they're cutting across different types of industries. Um, I'm teaching a cybercrime and high-tech law course at the university level, and every week I have my students come in, come in and each one has to present on a fast-breaking development in the high-tech world that week. And invariably, several students every week are talking about different breaches happening, happening at different companies. So this problem is not going away, and you anticipated uh, one of my thoughts, and by the way, I will have a question coming back to you, um, although right. I recognize we have some time limitations, but you know, you mentioned class actions popping up over there, um, which is interesting to me because you know, historically I think our country has been more litigious, at least from a class action standpoint, and probably more broadly than the UK. So you know, that is uh, certainly a, a mechanism used by class action plaintiff attorneys to try to uh, regulate almost as like, you know, litigation private attorney generals, if you know what I mean. And uh, that, that, is, that is the case here. Um, in terms of, you know, financial uh, regulations, if you will, you know, financial bodies and, you know, trying to regulate this, you know, I think we'll have to see. Um, the, our current administration is less inclined toward regulation. Uh, in various sectors than in prior regulations. So whether that will happen here or not, I'm not sure. But I do believe, you know, we've been having laws passed at the state level 
there is, you know, private class action litigation. And in consequence of that, um, I do believe that companies uh, at the board level and, 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 and on down understand that these data breaches are problematical and they seek to address them. Uh, part of the difficulty is at the technological level. Um, you might take what you believe are, you know, best steps and efforts to prevent breaches um, and certainly to remediate them when they happen, but uh, those uh, problems still keep coming up uh, either you know, intentionally or unintentionally. Um, so it's difficult. Um, it's almost like trying to nail jello to the wall, if you, if you understand yeah. my metaphor. <laughs> so, um, and then I know we're probably going a little bit long, but I'll go back to you. And, and maybe you touched on this just ever so briefly, but perhaps you can elaborate just a little bit more. And that is you noticed or you, you pointed out to us that the original breaches were pre-GDPR. Um, what would be different if they were, if anything, if they were post-GDPR? Yeah, I, I think it could be uh, potentially significant in that obviously the levels of fine are higher. Um, if the breach wasn't reported in time, there's a potential additional fine for that. So the regulators seem clear that if you have a breach and you don't report it quickly enough, that's two offences, if you like, rather than one. Uh, hmm. and, and I think the U.S. parent would almost certainly be possibly in play directly for the U.K. regulator post-GDPR. So if um, any uh, entity offers goods and services to EU data subjects, even if they don't ask them for payment, or if they monitor the behavior of EU data subjects, then there's a direct liability for that U.S. entity. And I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I haven't opened up every one of those, um, uh, you know, whatever the number was, 167, 146 million records. But if I was a betting man, I would say that at least some of those records uh, were monitoring the behavior, for example, because of Equifax's uh, business model. So, so I think it potentially would, I mean, almost certainly be much more consequential. And, of course, there are many more rights for individuals to bring action for civil damages under GDPR across the EU than there have traditionally been in domestic law. So we are seeing class actions quick out of the blocks. There's been a large breach last week, which was announced, I think, on the Friday. And by Sunday, some plaintiffs had lawyered up. So really quick turnaround. Incidentally, a, a, a firm that was set up uh, apparently by a uh, known firm of U.S. class action lawyers. So, so we've your brethren to thank for this import into Europe. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> My pleasure. Okay, listen, folks, this has been your weekly Tech Law 10. Um, I'm Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. You can contact me at ejsinrod at DwayneMorris.com. Of course, you can always find us on the usual social media outlets. Please continue to provide topics for us to discuss that are of interest to you. Jonathan, thank you so much for your great contribution today. Why don't you uh, finish up? Well, thanks very much, Eric. It's jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. We love hearing from you on this or any other topic. All that remains is to thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you again in a week or so. Cheers. Yep, cheers. <laughs>